Happy New Year. We're excited. Welcome to the Conversations with Jason Campbell and myself, Henrietta Galina. We're in London. We're coming to you from London. <laughs> We're very excited to be here recording at Somerset House, which is personally one of my favourite places in London. And we're really, really excited to be joined by a very special guest. She's a curator, an editor, a writer, an author, which is the same as a writer. <laughs> but I do it in two different keys. So. Oh, see. Which okay. is exactly what I meant. And, and she's a lecturer here at the very prestigious Courtauld Institute of Art. And we're joined by the lovely Rebecca Arnold. Oh, I'm really pleased to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining Hello, us. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. <laughs> um, so for anyone listening who might not know the sort of specifics around um, what you do and what you've done, can you just give us a little bit of background? Yeah, sure. I studied history, then dress history, and then history again. And I spent the beginning of my career teaching within cultural studies departments at art schools, which was really exciting. And it was a really exciting time to be working with young designers and getting them to think about how fashion resonates within the culture and how they could contextualize their work. And I set up the first fashion history undergraduate degree, which was at Central St. Martins in 2001. I've worked internationally, I've worked in, in Sweden, Norway, a lot in America. But the last over eight years, I've been here at the Courtauld Institute <clears throat> talking, um, teaching um, an MA in the history of dress, which has been really exciting. And during that time, as you say, I've been writing, authoring, a little bit of curating and consulting. Okay, that's a, that's a lot on that plate. <laughs> and I personally am a big fan. Thank you. Um, um, so when we were thinking about the topic for today's discussion, I was really struck by a portion of an interview that you had given at the top of last year, where you discussed the importance of fashion and the studying of fashion, which is in an excerpt, if you can read it back Yes, to this, this was what I said last year, and we can see if I still think the same this year. Um, so I said that fashion is important in and of itself as a means of self and group expression, and a crucial part of so many types of histories, from autobiographies to cultural, social and economic discussions of particular periods or themes. Studying fashion and dress history entails considering who we are and why we clothe ourselves as we do, which is an intense and personal consideration as well as an academic pursuit. It's about challenging the material and visual culture of our time and an important way to upend hierarchies that favour white upper-class heteronormative values. The best fashion and the best fashion history prompts people to rethink the world around them. And I just thought this was such a powerful articulation of kind of actually what we're going to dovetail into right now and the topic that we're going to discuss, which is um, it said that you can see the psychology of the times in and via fashion. So the question for today's discussion is how is the psychology of this era defined? It is. It's a little bit heady, but we would love to kind of get your thoughts. I have some ideas. I know Jason does too. Well, let me just, I'll throw this, I'll throw this out there. Hopefully this will be a, <clears throat> a start for this conversation. Well, the internet, that has been, let's say, proliferated in this decade, in this period, has been its most influential. That kind of globalization, bringing the world to, like, literally together, what effect have you see from this globalization of culture? And what does that look like? I think it's really been significant, as you say, that 
you can create something now and it can be seen internationally very quickly, instantly. I think it's it's also important to remember though that although Instagram and other forms of digital media are global, certain countries block them. So for example, in China, you can't see everything. So I think it's partial. It can seem like a complete free-for-all, but there are kind of political limits and oppressive regimes that do not allow that freedom of information. The other thing I would say is I think there's a kind of self-filtering that we tend to follow the people who we see something, you know, reflected of ourselves or our interests, we also, or, you know, that we aspire to to be like or aspire to own those clothes. So I think it's, I think globalisation is hugely important. I think that level of communication is really important, but you have to have the means, the access, and then I think we all kind of curate our own globe. We all kind of curate our own perception of the globe. I love, I think that's really um quite an interesting point when you talk about self-editing and this idea of like how the influence flows nowadays I think because that is one of the things ultimately that has really shifted when you look at um, the transfer of power from let's say the editors Mm -hmm. the buyers um, and how that's really emboldened the consumer so like that power shift and then that rise of the influencer you know that kind of like symbiotic relationship I think between the consumer um, well, you know what? No, I actually, no. Let me let me pause you there for a moment, Henrietta. I'm actually interested in a in a simpler point in that globalization conversation. For example, I envision you're speaking about globalization and influence. I'm envisioning, you know, the streets of the world being colored with all of these, you know, multicultural influences. Because again, it's right there for you to see. It's right there for you to co-op and apply to your own life on a very rudimentary level. Are we seeing, you know, that cross-pollination of cultural influences, primarily when it comes to dress, or or not? Or is one culture, for example, is American culture the dominant culture in all of this influence? On that basic level, I wanna I wanna I wanna gather your feeling about that. Well, I think firstly that cross-pollination was there already. So for example, I live in Brixton, which hmm. is so hybrid. Hmm in its culture and you see amazing I think some of the best street style anywhere where you see you know an African Muslim teenage boy wearing Adidas sneakers with a long tunic and a puffer jacket and jewelry and and so you see these kind of combinations and it's because people are right there with each other yeah and I think there's kind of that which is a very rich and very deep Mm cross-pollination because it comes out of the culture you're inhabiting and living and you're not consciously saying today I will take this influence and this it's what you grew up with and it's or it's what you've immersed yourself in and it's just there around you and I think the digital version of that is really rich but think but but I don't see uh, I suppose I see it as an amplification rather than a new Um, thing because I think you've seen you know you can go back to the renaissance and see the kind of silk road and the trade routes that are going across and you can see you know, Indian influence in textiles to Italy and then to Northern yes. Europe and etc. So I think I'm sorry, I'm being very historical. No, no, this is no, this is so this is so useful. You're really um, because and so I think it's it's another way of seeing those things. And I think what is kind of saddening and distressing within this is that we've also had a reaction against this, which is national identity being used in a way which is negative. 
you know, national identity doesn't have to be negative. National identity can be something celebratory if it encompasses the diversity and the reality of its population. Yes. But the fact that there is, you mentioned America, that we now have a situation in America where national identity is being reconfigured as something that it never was, that it's just white and it's just this group, um, is something which is pushing against that and is kind of is a sort of fearful I would say reaction to this greater diversity so I think there's the kind of excitement of diversity Mm -hmm. but then for some people that is something that makes them retreat well that's interesting that you say that because we were I was talking about an example I went to Venice for the first time at Mm. the end of last year and I was I gotta tell you I was so struck by that experience well, firstly, Venice, I was like, I'm in Venice, yeah, you know, the fabric of that city, just itself, the architecture, mm. the layout, the whole thing. Stunning, stunning. I was glad to be there, glad to finally see it. But what my takeaway from that experience was I saw all of these cultures. It was high season tourists. I saw all of these cultures coming at me, the Germans, the Americans, the Chinese, everyone. Mm. But I have to tell you, there was no sense of distinction amongst the cultures at all. It was so disappointing to me. Someone who's personally, you know, expressive every day. I was like, here we are. You all come to the city for um, for, 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 for what it offers. Something unique. You're not in Idaho. You're in. You're all in Venice. All of these cultures are attracted to coming here because it offers something. An amazing backdrop. But what do you bring in modern times? What are you bringing um, to this expression? In fact, it was so norm core. There was no sense of identity. No sense of distinction. And it really stuck with me, and I've been speaking about it since. I'm like, how could this be so? How did we end up here? I think that Jason is also really reacting to and trying to unpack what I think he is referring to as like an assault of casual dressing culture. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has an American genesis and it is it is about comfort and it's about casual. It's about casual and it seems to dominate the global uh, the global style. And I saw that leveled in Venice. Oh, there's a lot there. I think on the one hand, I think the best of that form of fashion can be really beautiful. A really beautifully thought through idea of what modern dressing should be. And I'm thinking of Claire McArdle, as I always do. Mm-hmm. And the kind of genesis of this is wonderful because it's thinking about fabrics like denim, mm-hmm. cotton, which are easy to wear and easy to use. And it's thinking about how to create the most kind of aesthetically pleasing and beautiful version of that thing. And I think designers and manufacturers who've continued with that design imperative continue to make really wonderful versions of. And I and I agree because I do think it's nuanced within that. I don't think that it's overall this idea of casual dressing. I think within that there are just certain details and nuances Mm. that make it your own. And I think, you know, even when you look at the different houses that are really kind of elevating, you know, these items from, you know, the Vuittons to the Balenciagas and the Dior's, you know, having sneakers being like at the front line of their collections and, you know, everyone has a hoodie. I think that their eyes are glazing over. (laughs) They're like glazing. No, but I think it's, I think it's like reading distinction in different ways for different groups of people. So within one set, it might be the spectacularization of your body is the key thing. Okay. So having the most 
interesting and interesting read as difficult or ornate or couture level or whatever it is so it might be something which is about decorating yourself in order to be seen mm -hmm. but for many people fashion is not really what they're interested in they're interested in clothes and so they want things that will function within their lives and they also don't want to distinguish themselves because oh, which i fail to understand and i'm sorry to cut no, you no, off no, that, no. that's my that's my big issue i'm like i don't really quite fathom that but maybe like, they are within their peer group you know maybe they're kind of not rebecca no no no, 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 no truly i i think that if you are looking at what at first seems like a homogenous group you then have to dig down and say, it, I mean, it's like school uniform, say, right. as it's a homogenous form of clothing, which is meant to unify bodies and discipline bodies and everything else. But within that, think of, you know, just think of your own experience of school and all the ways you yourself and your peers personalize. personalize. And it might be the tiniest detail, but within your playground, it's a big detail. And you're giving up that much credence to that, well, those think, nuanced distinction. Well, I, I think yes and no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much merit in it. I think, you know, going back to the um, idea of school uniforms, which I personally found so much comfort in, just, you know, from my socioeconomic background, it there was a level of comfort in being able to, you know, have that sense of camaraderie um, and really not have to think about those things and being free to be active in other parts of, you know, your education or your life, you know, which also, you know, even like Steve Jobs' idea of, I want, you know, Michael Kors, I want to take the thinking out of this so that I can then go forth and be creative and do these other things. But I think to really hone in on the question, I think that we are in this era of redefinition. So, you know, you kind of looking at fashion in your terms, which is really awesome. But I think that a lot of people are redefining their idea of dress, their idea of fashion, and maybe even going outside of those kind of codes to think about what are we doing in these clothes? What are we doing in fashion as part of the larger cultural narrative? So it maybe becomes less about the dress, you know, um, in kind of spectacular forms and mm. more about just these certain codes that allow you to think beyond that. I mean, I definitely prescribe to fashion. I love it. I, I um, you know, digest it and process it. But I myself, um, I'm not one that is, you know, I'm often in a sweatshirt, but that to me doesn't make me any less than someone who is a lot more kind of showy, which might not even be a word, but no, do, no, do you see no, what I, I mean? Agree. I think I that think, we're really that, redefining I think certain it, things. The thing that you come back to, or one comes back to all the time, that it's fashions, not fashion, that that there's always been, you know, that there's this kind of lie which which is perpetuated that there was once this time in mythic history when every woman threw out her wardrobe each you know, each season and wore a completely oh, new right, right. and that decades neatly fit into a box right, right, and there was right, never no. any other choice. And that when you actually go back and you look at fashion magazines, but you also look at amateur film footage and you look at diaries and you look at the whole panoply of, of material evidence available, you see that no, actually it wasn't that. Um, you know it's more diverse and I think I think there's there's kind of two ways of looking at it you can say yes everybody's become so sort of sportswear orientated and that's horrible but on the other hand if it means more people have a way of expressing themselves that is seen as fashionable then that's good that's better than everyone thinking I can't be fashionable because mm, I can't access that I think you're being generous I think you're being generous about. <laughs> I love that. Jason's like, 
no, no. I think you're. Be- I think, in fact, and this may maybe you know launching into a different conversation. But I think, frankly, um, Rebecca, a lot of that is based in fear. I'm, I'm not saying that people should be running around in waistcoats and, and, and cocktail dresses and all these kind of madness, like I, you know, I, on a daily. Um, but I do think a lot of this has to do with fear. People do not want to stand on an individual platform. They want to. They want to fit into uh, a herd mentality. They want to be a part of a group, and they. And it's not as yeah. There's nuanced distinction on the school uniform example that you gave, but yeah, that's like okay. Well, I'll just personalize it in this minor way for myself as to give my little thing. I guess I'm not giving enough credit to that. I'm just like go the distance. Do you? And here, I'll give you an example. Everyone has. Sorry to Not everyone has that personality. Not everyone has that peer group that will support them doing that. But also, I think you're speaking as though there was this kind of halcyon time when everyone was very distinguished, but there never was that. You know, but the I dominant, was, no, the no, no, dominant no, no. styles, let's say. So that's the social elite. Point. Let's not be elitist. Point. Points. Yes. Let's look at what everyone's doing. <laughs> and there's also, I mean, it's really interesting. I was reading a psychology book from 1928, which is one of the many exciting things I do with my life, and <laughs> it was an American woman, and she was writing about how. She found it really interesting how for American people, they want to look alike, but Europeans want to look different. Now, that's a massive generalization, but it's really interesting if you think of school and college culture, which is so much more about uniformity than it is in has ever been in Europe. And the idea that in America, if you wore the same dress to someone else as a party, it's fine. Mm-hmm. In Europe you'd freak out. Now, these are massive, massive generalizations. But I think there are cultural reasons why some places looking the same is seen as better, in inverted commas, than (laughs) looking different. Yes, it can absolutely be about fear. I mean, I would say the most extreme recent example of that is the white supremacists in America wearing the... the, um, white polo shirts and, and chinos. Yes. Like, was it cargo pants or chinos? I don't know. Something anonymous. Where it was subverting that desire for anonymity and making it into the most mm-hmm. dangerous statement using the most boring clothes right. <laughs> as an attack. And I think that, you know, that to me was such a jolt to suddenly yeah. see those clothes, which, as you say, blend into the environment, mm. become a uniform Mm -hmm. of attack Mm -hmm. I felt found it I mean I found it disgusting and I found it just horrifying the way it yeah it kind of completely that's a fascinating example because psychologically I absolutely agree and felt the same way because it kind of gave this idea I mean going back to the point of normcore and this idea of what Mm. normal dressing is Mm. this idea that you can walk out in the street and see that in everyone which also could be what you're reacting against in Venice, where you kind of are looking at a lot of this quote-unquote homogeny, um, which I think was like a really powerful tool in that kind of movement because Mm. it really does make you rethink the world around you and the people that you see every day just on the tube or at work and on the subways. So, yeah, that was a really powerful moment, I I agree. Do you think, because I wondered as well, it was almost like it was so visually dull what they were wearing that you didn't individualise them. So no, I wondered no, if it was also right. a tactic to not be spotted later. Do you know what I mean? That it's almost like you don't right. bother looking at the face because the clothes haven't invited you to particularly. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And I, I mean, I have to say, I, I'm very much taking the, you know, the basic clothing side here. But 
when I've lived in other, <laughs> no, but when I've taken other, no, but when I've lived in other cities, I think I'm so spoiled because of where I live. Uh-huh. When I've lived in other, I will not name the city, but I lived in another city which is very chic and lovely. But I was just desperate to get back to Brixton. I was like. I need to see the Nation of Islam. I need to see, you know, Rastas. I need to see a wider range of well, diverse people. That's not particularly basic, though. That's not no, the... no, that's okay. what I'm saying. That you know, I'm taking that side because I think that side can be argued, and I I would support it in some ways. But in my own personal experience, mm-hmm. I love the multiculturalism gotcha. of where I live, and I think. It's really important, and I think I'm sorry. I'm completely now arguing against myself. So. <laughs> but no, I've but really, I... you know, done a bad thing. But but I think I still I would support someone who feels, for whatever reason, they want to wear the most basic clothes in the world. But I would also, in my personal life, like to live somewhere where. I'm like continually each day thinking, yeah. oh my God, that's an amazing That's an amazing thing. And exactly. And just to amend, amend that, that statement before that you made about the elitism, I thought it was a, a strong statement. However, it's not the, the cost of something. Mm. And I'm glad that you came back to the multiculturalism and, you know, someone in a cheap Dijabala from, you know, from wherever yeah. for, you know, for $5, but it's expressive. It has nothing to do with the economics of things. It's really about a point of view. A yeah. point of view. And that, I think we're saying the same thing in yes. this instance. Like, wow, how great to see different people of different, um, different people expressing themselves yeah. in a different way. When I go to, this is a little, this is an aside, but when I go to Milan, Italy particularly, is I love Italy for this reason. My friendship group, everyone has their own style. It's very matter of fact. Very them. No one is non-competitive. No one even... Really particularly, well, yeah, we'll compliment each other on a, on a jumper mm. here, this year, this year. But it is so wonderful. And to mm. me, and I guess I'm speaking personally, I, I, I will say that. But it just, it stimulates my environment. Mm. It really does. And it also gives a nod to the individual personalities that I'm surrounded by. How wonderful. We're all different people. And you're not expressing, you're not just expressing different thoughts to me you're expressing differently to me in your garb it excites my senses it stimulates me all the time it excites me it really really does so I, guess, I think is that that kind of that is is that that I'm, I'm really drawing on and yes as I said this is a personal response but I, I believe in the power of dressing and and what that can you know is like an amazing tool in your arsenal and you could project whatever you want through that without saying a word. Why are more people not using that um, that form of expression? Well, I, I suppose I'd say two things. I, I think that I completely agree with everything you've just said, but I think both of us are clearly really visually led mm-hmm. people who love clothes and always have, and I'm just obsessed. But I recognise I'm in a small minority mm. being like that. So... I wouldn't judge people neg- negatively for not being obsessed as much as I am, even though sometimes I'll think, oh, I really want to see some exciting outfits out there. <laughs> I, I would simultaneously <clears throat> not judge people negatively who aren't as obsessed as me because I can see, you know, it would probably be a dangerous world if we were all as obsessed. You so, know, so would you argue the point that then the psychology of this era is defined by um, the need for individuality? As in not necessarily specifically individual dress, but the idea that you can just do what you want to do. There isn't like a mass trend of any one thing. It's more about this is how I feel good or this is how I express myself and that in and of itself is enough. Um, I think individuality sadly is often a myth. That I think it is 
it is true. Obviously, we're all individuals, but I think also you can often see the context for a particular outfit. So you can mm. see it links. I mean, there's Simmel in 1904, I think it is, wrote this essay on fashion. And he talked about trickle down, which I'm not into at all. But one thing he said that I think is really important is that in the way we dress, we include ourselves within a group, but we also exclude ourselves from others. others. And I think that's what we all continu continually do. And, and even like when you think of the most individual dresses, there's almost like a look that's how you look to be an individual to me. <laughs> right, right. And sure. so I think, or it, I always found it really interesting. I mean, I loved Alexander McQueen and the brand, but I always really liked it the way they always said, it's so individual. And you think, but it's not because you're wearing Alexander McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's a trend right. and you can see that. Do you see what I mean? So it's yeah. like you say, I'm putting on my McQueen and now I'm an individual. <laughs> and it's like, mm, are you? <clears throat> so I think there is individualization, mm -hmm. but there's there's, I think we, you know, I think human beings have that constant pull and push. So if you were to determine an overarching answer to this question, what would that be? Well, I'm a historian. You can't, you can't. I just want complexity and nuance. I can't, you know, do that. Well, so to your point, do you think that it's, it's almost harder to answer this question in real time? Because when you look at the, you know, the 20s, the 30s, the 60s, mm. the 70s, it's almost um, a fashion psychology that you you identify uh, in retrospect is well, that I, I think so but I think you can I think I th I mean it may be different it may be revised later but I think you you can think intelligently you can think analytically about your own times I mean that's what that's why I can remember a, a lecture I had a history lecturer saying you know we're historians but we must still read the newspaper and I think the yeah. same for dress historians you must still be aware and you must try and apply what you're doing I mean what I would say is I think what I would say is like maybe some of the psychology comes through more in the representation of fashion it's maybe easier to easier in inverted commas to read through the representation and the way that people who are highly sort of immersed in mm -hmm. this world are you know they're not sitting down saying today I will express mm -hmm. the psychology <laughs> And it, it's like, and that unconsciousness is is the important thing that it's you know these are people working in such an intense way within fashion that I think the representation often tells you more, and the what people are actually wearing you have to kind of digest and think about. That's an interesting position, and and in fact, uh, Harrietta, this speaks a bit to what what we, <laughs> we were touched talking on. about. Uh -huh. Yeah, because um, I I think if I had to think about how this era would be defined, I would almost argue that it it could be defined as redefinition. Like mm, there's a mm. we're redefining. I think it's definitely transitional. What everything is mm. from we're redefining our idea of luxury. Mm -hmm. I think the the power structures have been redefined where uh, the consumer and a different set of influencers um, have a lot more kind of power. Um, there's also a gender, there's also yeah. a, a, a new gender fluidity exactly. surrounding dress and, and, and how that's really been redefined. And really recognising that. And, you know, there's a renewed female gaze that really seems to be uh, kind of taking shape and prominence over the last sort of two to five years. And so I, I would almost say that we're really redefining like what these things are and it's been really powered and underpinned by um, the digital and social media behaviours. I mean, I think it's impossible to talk about anything in culture without kind of harping back to 
what digital and social media has really done to just absolutely reshape everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, is this no, is it progressive? Is it progressive in the, this progressive? this whole this whole bucket of read? I think re- it, I, well, I think the question is: is it, is it progressive? But also, is it true? Because this whole idea <laughs> of redefinition. Yeah. <laughs> to your point of individuality, enough, yeah. like when I was really talking about individuality, I meant it on quite a literal level. And so, when you said it's a myth, I had an aha moment. And then this whole idea of redefinition, are we redefining this and redefining Mm. that and the female gaze? Is it true? Because actually, you know, when you look at this, um, you know, even with the female gaze, you know, particularly in women's where actually a lot of people in senior creative and business positions are still men. Um, when we look at, I think the you need di- to define that female gaze a bit better. I don't think it's evident. Um, I don't think it's evident. To, to um, well, the female gaze. I mean, it's obviously it's a term that was taken from film, but this just this idea that it's kind of women for women, women representing women, women seeing women. So I think with the rise of you know multiple brands like Glossier through to um, uh, you know really beautiful underwear brands that and like you know not really conforming to the beauty ideals of how men see women right through to even you know outside of fashion places like the wing really taking off and you know their recent round of funding was incredible um so just this idea that like i think part of the precipice could have been the women's march this idea of like women really kind of um taking a lot more ownership of you know fat within fashion from right through from image making right through to design um and i'm just like wondering is that even really true well but i think there's there's a really important point is that perhaps i definitely think we're in a period of transition or redefinition i also think that what you're saying highlights that perhaps there's more options of what you can express about your individuality so mm-hmm. you can express mm-hmm. a fluid gender identity, a fluid sexual identity, and I hope that continues and that becomes another norm mm-hmm. rather than, oh, these people are doing this thing. Exactly. Look at them. <laughs> right. And I think that, I mean, what I hope is that the reaction against, as we've been saying, there's kind of the, what, what we have is two things. We have an opening up of what women can do of different gender um, identities, sexual identities, ethnic identities, being exposed more, shall I put it like that, and being embraced more. And what we need is that not to become a trend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's we nice. did that, now, right, we did, now right. we'll go back to being men and women. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think that's the really important thing, that it it becomes an embedded cultural fact yes that you can express your individual to come back to what you were saying jason that you can express a diverse range of individualities without being attacked on the street without being stopped by police you know without there being a problem within your peer group and without, without that puzzlement everything. that puzzlement on people's faces yes. you know what i mean like it's very yeah. matter of fact he or she is doing that as yeah. you are doing that simple yeah. as that yeah exactly and i think that's but but you know we can trace this back well, we can go further and further, but I don't want to be terrible. But, you know, you can think of even, like, bloomerism in the, in the mid-19th mm. century of, like, oh, my goodness, women are wearing trousers. We can now see they've got two legs. Yeah. <laughs> men will – they'll turn into men, and this is all going to be apocalyptic. And right. think it took, you know, nearly 100 years plus wow. for trousers to be accepted mm-hmm. for women. And even now some city firms won't let women wear trousers. Wow. So it's like – 
when you think in that that long durée, that long history, mm-hmm. think how long that takes. So we've had these these sort of attacks on a kind of white heteronormative ideal of representation, both, and I mean that both in visual representation mm-hmm. and representation of yourself. And that's it's taking it takes a long time. Um, and let's hope this is the tipping point that it can't be pulled back. Well, let me, I, I'm sorry. Well, actually, let me ask. In, you, you said hopefully this is a tipping point. Do you feel that it's being challenged enough that it may potentially be the tipping point? Do you feel that hetero, this heteronormative sort of, uh, you know, a construct, not even a construct, I mean, it's the, the, the norm. Mm. Do you feel that that's being toppled, really, really toppled right now? Or is that such a hopeful think- thing? There's the potential for it. I'm an optimistic person, so mm. I would always hope there was a potential for it. I think within fashion, it's really important that people are not allowed to get away with not right. showing diversity. And I mean diversity right. in the biggest sense of every kind Absolutely. of diversity. That, And I, I just... I don't like it when it's made into a novelty or a token. Of course. But, and I yeah. think that's that's the point. And so I think there's a potential for it, but I think it's all of us have to fight it. It Absolutely. is about participation. Mm. And I think to piggyback off your point, I really am I'm hopeful too, but I think it goes beyond showing. It's yes. almost sort of tolerance versus acceptance or inclusivity. Mm. So, you know, you can you can do your best to show uh, you know, we featured a black model in yes. a campaign mm-hmm. or and you know an Indian model on the catwalks but what's the actual dialogue you know mm. what's the hiring structure what's Hello. the internal policies Absolutely. what are the social yeah. codes and cultures that you're fostering within the you know fashion environments whether it's the institutions whether it's the internal um, industry or whether it's um you know, how you're inviting people to participate in the conversation through marketing and, you know, everything else. I personally, not to be pessimistic, I'm not seeing the dialogue. I'm seeing Mm. the show for show. And I think that's my concern because that's when it feels a bit, you know, what fashion does best, which is making things into a trend. I'm kind of wanting to go beyond that surface and really figure out like where the conversations are happening. Right. Well, you know, the one thing I will say, and maybe, you know, maybe this is an exit on this conversation, is um, one thing I will say is that we are also in the age, we're in the age of activism, for one. Mm. So that's one. So people will raise those issues and they will call us and like, you know, take someone to task. But it's all, and it's also the, the, the age of accountability. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, with those two functions at work, um, I do feel that if, if, uh, if people continue to see things that are egregious or, you know, or not progressive enough mm. and things that, yeah, that you, we're really really do we're in a time where we can collectively speaking you don't have to be collective you could be an individual and you can impact change in a significant way so to that to that end I'm hoping that just because of that alone and again we have a very powerful platform from which to or platforms from which to air these grievances so I am hopeful for that I'm hopeful that you know when um, when we're not seeing things as progressive as we'd like them to be that there are certainly multi-channels for um, for questioning these things and taking people task so that's that I will I would I will say that at this time and I I would say and I say this as someone who works with young people all the time that I think there is real hope because I do think the younger generation see these things much more as a norm Absolutely. and are much more passionate or not much more passionate but much more direct at saying no that's not acceptable correct and I think it's 
it's giving young people the credit they are due and not kind of just saying millennials you know they they just look at their iphone (laughs) (laughs) which is just rude and wrong and you know looking to what they are saying and how they are feeling about themselves and their identities and their culture and yeah giving them the credit i think and i i absolutely share that that sentiment and i think all of my um optimism is definitely steeped in in youth culture Mm. absolutely because i i think there's just an acceptance and a willingness to learn and listen to each other and i think it really is pushing back against what you know the previous generations have really kind of created for them and that's really kind of bred um i think just a kind of real nature of acceptance which i'm really excited about and just this idea of self expression which we've touched on previous podcasts and I'm sure in in future episodes too but just everything that's coming out from you know the really well thought out um, articulations of of themes within and outside of fashion right through to the idea of you know what fashion means to um, to each of them I think it's really it's really exciting I'm really excited to see what they're coming out with well on a on a very basic level, and not to be basic, but <laughs> the very basic level, I'm sorry. Um, I, Rebecca, I have to say, your argument for saying, you know, not everyone in the street should be hyper-expressive or why they're not, rather. Why they're not. They're not all engineered as I am. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yes, I definitely I definitely embrace it. I think that's, that's sound. But I, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm still I'm still looking. I'm still searching. I still want. And by the way, and we won't launch into this conversation, but part of my argument against this is that culturally speaking, the influence is coming from, you know, the powers that be. This is all marketing. Don't, don't, I will not like, you know, say that the individuals all decide to wear sweat sweatshirts and, and sneakers. No, this is coming from higher powers. This is coming from the Nikes of the world and these marketers and these people. And again, because of who we are as people, we like to fit in. Everyone falls in line and has taken the, you know, have accepted the, the dumbed down fashion expression. Well, I would say back to that is non-expression is still an expression. Amen. Okay, and on that note... (laughs) Amen. That couldn't be a more perfect way to round up this conversation. That was so good. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. Okay, that's punctuated. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Rebecca. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Um, you. You really are one of the bright minds Mm -hmm. of our industry. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you. (laughs) It's been my pleasure. Thank Thank you you so much, Rebecca. (laughs) 